Hello and welcome into Jam Session. Glad to have whoever you are listening to us. Jam Session is Matt McLaren and Jean-Jacques Taylor. We're two guys who used to do a radio show on ESPN Radio in Dallas, Texas. We now do this podcast. We talk a lot about the Dallas Cowboys, other Dallas sports teams, and just our interests in Dallas, nightlife, stories, beer, all kinds of things. Glad to have you. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast, version 378, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. So much to get into. A lot of things out there in the sporty world, some other stuff that we're going to discuss as well, and we should have some fun things today. I'll tell you that, because there's a couple of things that have caught my eye to throw out that we don't normally talk about, which is also interesting, but... None of this happens without our sponsors, guys, and that's why we always ask that you continue to support them as they support us to make this work, and that starts at the top with Greening Law, who's fantastic. I worked with them for a while. If you've been hurt in a car accident like I was, if, if you've had injury to your person is what they do. They're a personal injury lawyer. I think people get confused, like, oh, what does a personal injury lawyer do? Literally, it, it, if something was not your fault and you have an injury to your person and it was not at all your fault, and you have to get medical bills involved, and you get insurance companies involved, that's when you need someone like Robert Greening and the Green Team because they go to fight for you against the insurance companies. The things that they are able to do with their legal expertise is absolutely incredible, and I cannot recommend them highly enough. That's why the Green Team, yeah, I think Matt said it. It's what they do, and it's what they do best. And when you're talking about the Green Team, man, you're talking about somebody who can help you walk through what can be a really complicated, kind of tedious process. And we talk about it all the time, but, you know, Matt lived it. And he can tell you that, yeah, Greening Law told him, hey, they're going to ask you this. He's like, huh, what? Yeah, when they do, you say that. And that's, you know, it's part of, part of what they do is keeping you prepared. Part of keeping you prepared is telling you, hey, this is going to come up. And you go, really? They go, yeah. And then, you know, eventually it comes up. They go, see, told you. And that's what you want. Somebody to ride with you. Somebody to tell you when to turn left, when to turn right, when to stop, when to go forward, when to go backwards. All of that stuff. And when you deal with grinning law, that's what they do. And so if you've been injured, and Matt just told you, it doesn't matter how. It just matters that you weren't at the crib and you sustained an injury. You need to give them a call, man. And see, hey, say, hey, green team, here's my case. What do you think? And they'll give you the truth. Give them a call, 972-934-8900. And as I like to say, hope like heck they bring you on as a client. That's exactly right, because they go to bat for you, man. And that call is free. The consultation is absolutely free, 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now, offices, Dallas, Texas. 
So many of you know that we always record this the day before it comes out. So you have access to it when most of you wake up on on Friday morning on the May 12th. But we're recording this on May 11th. So the NFL schedule for us hasn't come out yet. But by the time everybody listens to it, it, it will. And, and Jacques and I will review that. We'll go through the Cowboys. And we already know, like we said last time, who they're playing. We can tell you everybody they're playing. We just don't know when. And we don't know how the schedule is going to lay out in terms of, will there be three road games in a row or who's playing on Thanksgiving, what have you. But we do know some of the things this morning that the NFL has thrown out there for us. I have to say, this kind of tells you that the NFL thinks the Detroit Lions are going to be something this year because the season opener on Thursday night is the Detroit Lions at Kansas City to take on Pat Mahomes and the defending Super Bowl champions, which I thought wow. was really interesting for the Detroit Lions. Wow. Duh. When is the Lions? That was a very poorly constructed. <laughs> when have the Lions ever done something like that? It's been years. Maybe when they had Barry Sanders. Maybe. Uh, but aside from Thanksgiving, I don't even remember the Lions having primetime games. I don't but, either. Uh, no, I'm serious. I'm like dead ass. I, I just don't even remember them having primetime games at all. I mean, everybody's got to have one. So, yeah, they get their one on Thursday night or whatever. But, dude, everybody's hyped on the Lions. And let me tell you why that's interesting. I think they're hyped. Well, there's two parts. I think they're hyped on uh, Dan Campbell because Dan Campbell has become the face of the Lions with his energetic approach and, uh, you know, his authenticity. I think that's a good way to say it. Plus, I don't know if y'all realize this, because we're so busy worried about the Cowboys and the Eagles and the Niners. They went eight and two down the stretch. Eight and two. And so I think a lot of people are believing that they're going to keep the momentum from last year. They've added some pieces in the offseason and that this is the Lions year. And I find that incredibly interesting because what's going to happen this year that didn't happen when they went eight and two, Matt? People go, oh, you know, Lions are pretty good. Uh, let's make sure we prepare for them like we prepare for Dallas and San Francisco and, yeah. you know, the other good teams. So they're not going to get the sneak up on you pass. They're not going to lay in the grass or lay behind these big old uh, deals and wait for the gazelle to run by and pounce on them. Nope. It's going to be out in the open, no coverage, and you're just going to have to see whether you can strap it up and go get you a zebra. I like that. I, I like that very much. That was a fantastic <laughs> analogy. Very, the, the safari analogy works very, very well for me. Yeah, I just thought, I mean, because you're exactly right, man. I was trying to think. I don't know that Detroit had a primetime game last year unless they flexed one of those at the end of the season when they got really hot. Because keep in mind, they, they won five out of their last six games. The Lions started one and six last year and finished nine and eight. So they, they won seven out of their last nine games. They finished seven and two. And I still don't recall. I'm trying to think, okay, yeah, they did. So they flexed that last game of the season. I'm looking at their times of kickoff. Every single game they played last year was a noon kickoff until the final Sunday of the season when they won on the road in Green Bay that they flexed to the Sunday night game, that final Sunday night of the season. Right. So think about that. So a team that last year played every single game at noon is opening the season in the featured game, of, in a lot of cases – of the year for the NFL schedule. We already know that the Super Bowl champion gets the rights to host the first game. They're at home, that primetime Thursday night game, and the Lions are the team that they're throwing to the Chiefs that's going to be one of the highest-rated games of the year because everybody's so ready for the NFL season to return on Thursday night, and they're the only game in town that day. 
And it's going to be it's going to be really fun to watch because obviously the Chiefs are the Chiefs, and so it'll be an opportunity for them to uh, to show what they're all about. And you know, not being a Lions guy, to me it'd be like when Dallas played Tampa to open the season a couple of years ago. I was like, I don't necessarily care if they win or they lose. There's 15 games left at that time. I go, I just want to see how they play. Do they look like they belong on the same field with the champs? And obviously they did. I think they lost 31-29, had a chance to win it at the end. Okay, so I think the Lions will do the same thing. Uh, here's the best team in the league. Let's see if it looks like we belong on the field with them. And you can gain a lot of confidence whether you win it, whether you lose it, as long as you play well. It's going to be an interesting matchup. So the other game that we know that's going to happen, and props to you because you mentioned this the, the last podcast that we did, the first Monday night game of the season will feature Aaron Rodgers' New York Jets debut, and they will take on Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills in the very first game of the Aaron Rodgers Jets tenure. That's a hell of an open right there. Bills Jets is one of the – well, y'all don't know it down here, but, you know, having grown up in Buffalo till I was seven or eight, Bills Jets has been a rivalry uh, for a long time. It's like – you know, any of the Cowboys rivalries with their Eastern, Eastern division. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's going to be good, man. It's going to be hype. Where's that game at? New York? Or yeah, it's going to be at, at, at the Meadowlands or whatever they call it now. Uh, Met Life, yeah, I guess. Yeah. They, they, give, uh, they give Aaron Rodgers a home game. They did. That place is going to be juiced and jacked. That's a great opener. It is a great opener, especially because, I mean, you think about that. If Aaron Rodgers wins that game against Buffalo and the Jets start out, I mean, their fan base is going to be like, well, this is it. Here we go because we just took down the Bills going to be very interesting opener the other thing that, that i thought division in the nfl it's got to be right it has to be i'm just trying to go off the top of my head right quick. no because I, i'm like if you think about it and again a lot of this goes back to quarterback play as we've talked about many many times i'd throw out the afc west would still be in that conversation to me but you got josh allen and the bills who a lot of people will pick to win the super bowl this year you've got obviously aaron Rodgers jumping over to the jets and everything that they've done Tua and Miami, who aren't going to be going away and are loaded up, perhaps. And then you can make a case that Mac Jones and the Patriots, who just made the playoffs a couple of years the ago, worst team. are the worst team. I don't think you'd have to make a case for it. I think they are. And, and they're but, going to be playoff competitive. I can say, but they're the worst team in the division. I don't think there's any question about that to me. And they could still be, you know, nine and eight, 10 and seven. I mean, it, we've kind of talked about this before. I mean, these divisions, like the AFC North. You got Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. You got Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. You've got Deshaun Watson now with the full offseason going through everything. No suspension anymore with Cleveland. I expect him to be really good this year. I do too. And then and then oh by the way Pittsburgh who they're still He's trying to figure a, out. But they've never been under five hundred. So Pittsburgh right. will show up and smack you in the mouth. It's just a matter of whether you're better than them because they will bring it uh, whenever you play them. And then you got the AFC West. We already know the Chiefs. In, we already know this. Justin Herbert and the Chargers that everybody is high on. Russell Wilson, keep in mind, Sean Payton's there now. Is he going to turn around Russell Wilson and figure things out in Denver? And then Jimmy Garoppolo, who goes to the Raiders, who is a solid NFL quarterback, has played in the Super Bowl before, over there in the AFC West. Yeah, bro. I mean, the AFC is stacked, which is why when we talk about the Cowboys in the, in the NFC, the path to the NFC is so much easier than the path getting out of the AFC. Yes, sir. And if you fool around and get uh, one of those two buys, it's really easier. I mean, because you, you don't have to face the other, you know, outstanding team, be it Dallas, San Francisco, Philadelphia, as of today, early in May, 
um, you know, you've only got to face one of those, not two of them. I mean, you got an absolute trash division in the NFC South. Yes, with sir. Tampa, Carolina, New Orleans, and Atlanta, and that's uh, even you know maybe if Derek you know Carr is the answer in New Orleans, it's still trash. We'll go back and look at that later. Like whatever division is playing in the in the NFC South in the NFC, that's the one where you'll see somebody leap up by two or three wins this year. It's None of, it's interesting because I'm just looking at this. Like I, the Cowboys got the West. Yeah, like whoever's playing the South, you're like they could go three and one. You know, four and zero over there, and go from eight to twelve or eight to thirteen, nine to thirteen, real easy. That's very true, man. That's you know what? Let's look at that real quick because I'm just curious to see. Like, and I don't know. Like, if it's the NFC North and they play the the South, you know, you could look at Detroit and go, oh, yeah, because now all of a sudden you've got like this is real, man. Yeah. <laughs> like this is a thing that's going to happen. All right, let's see. I'm just going to scroll through this real quick and see. So, who has the South? It is not the West, and we know it's not the East, so it is the North. Yeah, that's Detroit. God, man, no wonder. So you look at Detroit, and if they play to what people think, you got the Packers, who you expect to struggle a little bit with a new quarterback this year. You got the Bears, who you expect to struggle. And then you got uh, Minnesota, which is just kind of, you know, average 500 team. So yep. you look at the Lions and say, hey, what if you go 4-2, and 5-1 and one in your division? And what if you go 4-0 in that other division? Which is not in, you know, I don't think it's like this incredible stretch. That could give you eight or nine wins right off the bat. And now, you know, your other division games, they didn't finish in first place last year, so they don't have a first-place schedule. So, you know, there's a chance for the Lions to, to get some dubs next year. Yeah, Minnesota, who we always all think is overrated, it, it, they didn't lose anybody big. They went 13-4 and four last year. I do think the North is going to be tougher because I think Chicago is going to be better. I mean, keep in mind, Justin Fields finished top 10 in MVP voting last year, and they added DJ Moore to what they do there. I think that's going to be a tougher division than it was last year. And Chicago's another one of those teams. Justin Fields going to year three. They finally got him a number one wide receiver. They're going to be interesting. And I said this last year about Jacksonville. I said, watch out for Jacksonville because the moves that they've made, with, if, if Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson can connect a little bit, then you could see Jacksonville. I, I wasn't saying like going crazy, but you could see Jacksonville getting into the playoffs. They ended up winning the division at nine and eight. And Chicago's one of those teams because they're going to play a last place schedule and they get to play the entire NFC South. See, that's a great point. Last place schedule and the South. They could get some wins that we're like, oh, wow, look at the Bears. Yeah, because I'd have to go through and see, but, it, you know, they're three different games. They may be playing like Washington, Arizona, and Houston or something like that. And if they're doing that, all of a sudden, those three wins that you have, you could you can make a case that they could – you've got like seven or eight wins right there, guys. Now can you right, get right, to right. nine wins and be competitive for a wild card spot? Bro, we'll you, see. That's why parity rules in the NFL because of what yeah. we just told you. And that's wild. That is wild. So the other thing I wanted to throw out here, because this, we keep hearing that the NFL, it, it seems like this great rumor that, that maybe we're still 10 years away from this happening, that eventually there's going to be a division in the United Kingdom. And there's going to be four teams in the United Kingdom. And they have their own division that makes it feasible for teams to go out there and do a couple of games back to back out across the pond. And they keep scheduling more and more games out there. And the one team that we all talk about all the time is Jacksonville. Well, yesterday on Wednesday, 
the mayor of Jacksonville went on a Jacksonville radio station and let it be known, and nobody knew this apparently, that TIAA Stadium, which is the home of the Jacksonville Jaguars, that they believe that in 26 and 27, according to the mayor, the stadium is going to have to undergo renovations and the Jags will not be able to use the stadium for two, for two full seasons. What the hell are they doing that takes that long? That's what I wondered. Like build one from... And he said, like, night. best case scenario, the goal is to just have the two years and that they're looking for alternatives for the Jags to be able to play in Jacksonville. And I'm starting to look at this going, okay, if you're the Jags and you're already loading up on London games, do you at that point say, you know what? And I don't know what... Let's just say in 26, they've got eight home games. Do you tell the NFL, we want four of our home games in London... And we'll do the other four over here in Orlando or somewhere close to Jacksonville. And then maybe the next year you even up and you go, hey, that went really well. Let's do six in London. And it's almost like a test case for the NFL of what if we had a team that was essentially based in London for a year? Dude, uh, I don't know, bro. I'm trying to think about that. You know, because uh, I was trying to think about it from the sense of the players, like, you're going to tell me I got to work, you know, nine months out of the year in London or in, you know, Germany. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that. You know, imagine the tax situation. I got to pay this in London. I got to pay this in wherever I live. That seems like an incredible beatdown for players. And what I'm getting at is, okay, you put a team in London. We'll call them the Monarchs because that's what they used to call the World League team okay. over there. You really, I mean, what kind of free agents are you going to be able to get? Well, you know what? And that's true. I think you're exactly right. You're, <laughs> you would have to, they'd have to money whip, because I have no idea what the tax structure is or how that works. Like we got, everybody has got a salary cap of uh, $200 million. The team in Europe has a salary cap of $300 million. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I just, you know. Because I can't see some people. I mean, some people just be like, nah, bro, because I can't take yeah, my whole never family happening. over there yeah. or mom and dad can't come over there and watch me. Play. It's just a beat down. But then I was also thinking, okay, it's six hours, I think, from New York to London. Well, what if you had a team like the old AFL or whatever it was, World League, they had a team in Hawaii, and you played the Hawaii Rainbows and you, you were in New York and you had to fly, fly you know, five hours to New York and then another four hours to Hawaii to play. Yeah. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting, but again, see, and I, I don't know what the structure of that will be because the Jags are already playing like two or three games, I think, this year. And yeah. like the most they've ever played, they're already yeah. doing that. Or, yeah, yeah. See, I'm just thinking this. Seattle to Miami. I guarantee you that's as long as it is from uh, New York to London. Yeah, you know what? You're probably right. And you're flying you know, across multiple multiple time like, time zones. I bet that's probably a six seven hour flight. Yeah, here you Miami. go. So my you, you nailed it, dude. Seattle to Miami is a five hour and fifty five minute flight. Yeah, that, New so York to six London hours. Is six. Yeah. You know, San Francisco to New York. That's probably uh, five six hours. And the flight time from New York to London is seven hours. So it's one more hour. I mean, I don't think you, we. I don't think the difference between six and seven is all that much. Now you got the time difference in the jet lag. Right. Yeah. That, that, that changes, of course. So I don't know. It's uh, well, there's a lot of moving parts to that thing, but you can see that that's a that's the track that they're on. It feels like it. You know, for us, obviously, we're in the central time zone. 
See, and that, that's where this gets interesting as well, because to your point about the time zone changes, from the eastern time zone to London is just a five-hour difference. So I know it's a little different because, like, say, going from Seattle to Miami, I mean, obviously right now in Seattle it's 6. Well, you guys don't need to know what time it is because what difference does it make? But the reality of it is it's three hours difference. So is there a massive difference if you've got eastern time zone guys? Now, it is, I mean, going from Seattle to London, like, how would you make that work? I have no idea. And that's where you would have to have multiple teams out there because you'd tell Seattle, hey, you're playing two consecutive games, maybe even three consecutive games in London. You know what, man? I wonder, how, I wonder if they do that. They'd almost set it up where if you, when you go out there, you just hang out for a month and you play all four teams out there. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. And then eventually, because I do think this is going to happen eventually, the NFL is just going to continue to expand the schedule, and it makes a ton of sense. And we've been, I've been wanting this for forever since they already pushed the Super Bowl back a week as it is when they added the extra game. Just add an extra bye week for everybody. Push the Super Bowl back to the weekend of President's Weekend, President's Day weekend, which most people have off that Monday. And that's just pushing it back a week, throwing an extra bye week. And you tell the teams, they'll have to do this if they add a London division. Because then it's like, okay, you get a bye week before you go to London so that you can go out there and you live a month. And then you get a bye week after you go to London so that yeah. you can readjust. Right. And I think that it would work like that. I mean, it makes sense to me. We'll see if they end up doing it. But the Jacksonville thing is very interesting because, you know, from what I was reading this morning, the reality of it is, Again, Jacksonville's not a major market. They don't have another stadium in Jacksonville that can hold an NFL crowd. So it sounds like the only alternative would be, okay, so if we can't play in Jacksonville this season, we've got to play in Orlando, which is 150 miles away from Jacksonville. Now, cool, right. you, maybe you can play in Orlando and you, you get a lot of fans that come out. Or, like I said, they already have this built-in cash cow and there's a ton of Jags fans in London. Right. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, that's still a couple of years away before that goes through that process. But, I mean, the NFL really, really, I mean, every year they add more and more international games over there in Europe. Yeah. No, I think it's coming. I, I'm not sure I really get down with it and, uh, for all the reasons I see. But, and that's where it gets know. interesting. You're right. Because I kind of wonder, does he, like, say you expand and then you got 36 teams and maybe you do – and I'm just, you do two in London, you do one in Scotland, you do one in Germany, whatever. And you've got multiple teams in Europe. So you have a European division. If the expanse of, see, and this is where it gets really interesting because the rank and file of the NFL, if you tell the guys who only average three years in the league, hey, we just created 106 more jobs. Right. Does the rank and file look at that and go, dude, I could hang around a little bit longer. Whereas the main players like Tom Brady, who tried to get everybody to vote against stuff last time, you know, guys like that are like, I'm not doing that. Hell no. But the bulk of the league are guys going, man, that I could add, but that might add another year or two of my career. Cause you know, I could get drafted here and maybe I can, if I needed to four more teams that would consider me. Yeah. I mean, at some point, you know, when, when you're not a star, you're just like, however long I can keep getting these checks for $750,000 is, I'm going to keep trying to get them. I don't care where they are. So, you know, it's all good. So we will move forth here. And before we get into a quick trip around the block, as always, again, the reason why we are able to continue doing this is because we've got some sponsors that are just phenomenal. And 
the one thing is not only do they help keep us going, but they'll help you guys. And there's a reason why we suggest and work with these people like flow air, heating and air. It is May. It is getting very, very warm. It has been very warm for me where I live. I know it has been very warm in Texas. Guess what, guys? It's not going away anytime soon. And right now you're thinking, oh, my, it's, it's not too bad. My AC is fine. What are you going to do when it's June and July and August and you run into 100 straight days where the temperature doesn't drop below 80 or 67 days in a row where it's 103 and you don't know that your air conditioning can make it through the hot Texas summer? That's why Flow Air, family and veteran-owned and operated company, for the month of May is offering their yearly maintenance for $99 per system. That's $70 off their normal price. So think about this. I would call them today. I would schedule this for May because in June, you're going to pick up the phone and go, hey, I need uh, some maintenance. And they're like, oh, it's $70 more than what you could have paid in May. Take advantage of this offer with flow air, heating and air, because you don't want to mess with your AC unit and stuff during the, the Texas summers. Pro. It, it ain't really that complicated, man. I mean, I think I told y'all. Whenever, and my mom told me this when I was a kid. Uh, first started driving. She said, one of the things you got to do now is before you go on a road trip, you got to make, you got to take your car by the shop, have them check all your hoses and all that stuff so that you don't have a disaster on the road that could have been prevented. I said, all right, cool. And so I do that to this day. Well, same thing, man. I got told this by my dad years ago, which was, hey, man, before the summer starts, because he, he grew up, in a place where it's pretty warm, you need to make sure that your air conditioning stuff is working and it's all good so that you don't have a disaster during the summer. And so I'm one of those people, and that's what I did, man. I used to get my air conditioner checked at the start of every year, uh, just as right about now when it got hot, so that hopefully during the during the summer it wouldn't it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't have a disaster. Now that said, that didn't prevent a couple of disasters I did have. But hey, there may have been more had I not done it. So what we're telling you is preventative maintenance is the best maintenance. Give Flow Air a call and let them get you straight. That's exactly right. And if you decide that you don't want to do that, guess what? When your AC runs into problems, they do offer emergency, <laughs> 24-7 emergency service. They service the entire Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. But again, get your air conditioning serviced while you can take advantage of this offer with Flow Air, heating and air. You can call them. You can text them. It's easy. 817-808-4115. 817-808-4115. Or check them out on, online at flowairtx.com. Also, of course, made possible by Biltong. Brews Biltong. Like beef jerky, it's a traditional South African air-dried meat. It's better. If you like beef jerky, we tell you this all the time. You will love biltong. You'll like biltong so much that you'll wonder why all beef jerky isn't just biltong instead. It's that good. It, it's super healthy. There's zero sugar, no artificial ingredients. And the dude that owns this company, I mean, he, we've had him on the podcast a couple of times months ago. Such a good dude. He was a rocket scientist. He's from South Africa. He started making this in his garage and his friends in the neighborhood are like, okay, you got to keep making this because it's so damn good. So he started his company kind of like we did. It's, it's fantastic. Dude, you know, it's, it's hard to say. Like, I, me and Matt really get down with the sliced biltong. You can shove it in your mouth. It's uh, delicious. It's great. And the thing about it is, it, for me at least, it doesn't get caught in your teeth. And that's because it's kind of juicy. It's kind of succulent. It's tender. It's, it's weird because it's not what you expect the first time you put it in your mouth and taste it. I tell my kids when I was growing up, it's good and it's good for you. 
That's exactly right, man. That is Biltong. It is absolutely delicious. And at BrewsBiltong.com, B-R-U-S, by the way, BrewsBiltong.com, you can get yours for 15% off. Just use that promo code JAM15 at checkout. So let's take this trip around the block. And what a trip it's going to be. It's going to be a very, very interesting trip. And a couple of things. First off, it's Mother's Day weekend. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. As we all know, moms are the best. They're incredible. And and I, I have always believed that I've had, I think most people that have, most moms, I, I believe, are good moms. And most people believe, oh, I've got the best mom in the world. And I've always well, believed I like, that. Well, I like to say no one has a better mom. There's lots of great moms, mm-hmm. but nobody's got a better one than mine. And... Yeah. I will say that my future mother-in-law, who, what are we? We're less than a year away now from getting married, and then she will be my mother-in-law. And I, I've gotten to know her over the last almost nine years. And she is a, 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 just an incredible human being as well that I, I really enjoy being around. And, and she's been very supportive of me and, and obviously of my, my fiance. So, you know, I got two really just incredible women mothers in my life. And, and, and I got to say, you know, my son's mom also, we don't see eye to eye. We butt heads a lot, but for what she does for him, she, it, you know, being a mom, it, it's something, there's just something about moms, man. They're just, it, and it's incredible to have a lot of great women that you see that are just absolutely kick-ass moms. Yeah. Um, and I think you also got to say that this can be a, uh, this can also be a difficult time for people like me who don't have their moms around. Yeah. Uh, because they've died. Um, now, it's weird for me because I really, Mother's Day is not, uh, it's not in a, like my mom's been gone uh, almost 25 years now. But early on, it was a, it was a hard day. The Mother's Day itself is really not that hard for me. It's much more those occasions where she would have seen my, my kids do something, you know, whether it was graduation. Like when my dude graduated last year, that was much harder for me with her not being there than Mother's Day was. Or, you know, when my kid was playing football, I was like, damn, she would have really enjoyed that. Those are the moments that are harder for me. But I tell everybody, man, who's lost their mom, you know, just kind of, if you can, kind of embrace the moment and uh, enjoy the memories and enjoy the good times and uh, really kind of focus on those and remember that and not the part that she's not here, if that helps, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, th- I think definitely. And Mother's Day is a great day. It's great to celebrate mom. Father's Day is a great day. It's great to celebrate dads, but I think we all know. Oh, that's the best fucking day. You know, <laughs> for us, yes. But, you know, moms are just on a different level, man. They're just on a different level. It's incredible. It really is. As I've gotten older, I mean, the things that I've noticed that, you know, my mom does, that her mom does, just that without even hesitation, it, it's just, it's, it's incredible. Absolutely, completely selfless, compassionate individuals, and it's incredible. So happy Mother's Day to those of you that are moms, and we all have or had a mom at some point, and, and reflect and remember and, and express that love to them however you enjoy doing that. Yeah. The, the other thing I wanted to throw out, and, and this was interesting because you sent me this article, and this is like a sports thing, but it, this is, I, I don't know how to process this mentally. <laughs> and I don't know that anybody else knows how to process this mentally. I sent Matt the weirdest articles during the week. 
You do sometimes. And the one that you sent me, and I didn't know that this happened, first off, which is really strange, I guess. You would have thought that this would be, in a sense, more widely recognized or known. But apparently, very recently, the all-time record for a marathon was ran. By a Kenyan, what, bro? I mean, this is nuts. So it was a Kenyan <laughs> marathoner, and I'm going to apologize. I do not know this guy's name. I'm giving it my best. I believe it's Eliud Kipchoge. That sounds good to me. Okay, it's a good I, effort. Thanks. He ran now, again. I'm, I'm pretty sure we've all seen the 26.2 stickers everywhere, so everybody knows what a marathon is. This dude ran 26.2 miles in one hour. 59 minutes and 40 seconds, becoming the first human being to run a sub two hour marathon. Which is insane in and of itself. Because you think you go, man, that sounds really fast. Well, how fast is it? How about this? If you do not know what that means, that means this dude ran 26.2 miles at a four minute and 34 second per mile pace, a four and a half minute mile for 26 miles that is a dead sprint yeah i mean it's just it's the cardiovascular shape his heartbeat must be like 22 and he goes to sleep and his heart just stops and it starts again when he wakes up probably (laughs) because that's insane um it really is it's uh it's incredible uh i'm gonna say this before i forget but you know what you just said you just said he was the first one to run a sub you know two hour marathon Watch what happens over the next five years. We'll see two or three or four more people like that. It's because he's broken the glass ceiling. Yeah, the glass yeah. ceiling. It's I, so apparently. So this article you sent me, Nick Simmons, who I've never heard of before either, thirty-five-year-old dude. And by the way, the Kenyan who ran this was thirty-four. Unbelievable. This is a middle-distance Olympic runner. Okay, so this guy runs the middle distances, as I just mentioned. He has competed in the Olympics, so he's pretty damn good at running. Yeah, that's what he does. That's who he is. So he and this other guy that he knows decide to try and show like just how insane this is and how fast this is. Now, in the video, this dude says his personal best mile time is three minutes and 56 seconds. Which in and of itself is insane. He recruits another runner who runs a three minute and 51 second mile. And he goes, look, we're good runners. We'll be able to go 23, 24 miles at this pace as a joke. <laughs> right. He says that they try narrating as they try to sprint and keep up with this dude's pace. 90 seconds in, his heart rate is already up to 200 beats per minute, which is sky high. I mean, all of you that work out, like once you approach 200, you're like, okay, I might need to slow down here for Bruh, a second. Mine has never been more than 163. <laughs> I mean, that's you're starting to get up there at that. I, I get overheated yeah. sometimes, and mine will get up like 180-something, and then I, I take a pause to get it back down because you don't want it to be that high. Right, right, right. That's a lot. So what's nuts about this is as they cross the 1,000-meter mark, he's able to get to 1,029 meters in 2 minutes and 55 seconds before he's just done and he collapses. And he says, for me, at this pace, this is like an all-out sprint. And he goes on to say, this has to be the greatest accomplishment by a human being in the history of the world. I can't even imagine that. Like, when I was doing triathlons, and I'm running a 5K, okay? A 5K. 
Like my first mile, I could do, I could get under seven minutes for the mile. Right. You know, like Which I'd run, moving. like, I think like I do like a 634 is probably the fastest one I ever did. And then the next mile was like 720. And the next mile was like <laughs> 740 or whatever. Because yeah, that's how most people are. You get a little more fatigued. Or, you know, your first one's a little slower, then you speed it up. But it's, you know, it's only so long before you start slowing down a little bit. I mean, so think about that. I mean, so, and that's like the fastest that I can do. Like, I cannot go, that's just insane. I mean, like running, if even being in good shape, unless you're a runner, runner, like running a sub seven minute mile is, is you're moving, dude. Yeah. Like you are moving. And I'm think, not a runner. I mean, to, I haven't been. It's insane. Uh, I was going to say, I don't think I've ever run a mile. Even when I was doing 5Ks, which was many, many years ago, I was never fast. You know, I think mine was like nine minutes. And I thought I was Olympic caliber at nine minutes. God, I mean, that's... Because for me, that was fast. Yeah, nowadays, like if I go for a run or whatever, you know, I'll, I'll run like eight and a half minute, nine minute mile. And, and you're you just, you're moving. Yeah. No, that's insane, I, I, I mean, and, and to think that this dude, I mean, think about that. Anybody who works out and is in health, because if you don't, don't try this. Like, go try to sprint. Like, if you have the capability to go into a field or something, try to sprint 100 yards. That's 300 feet. <laughs> and see how you feel at the end of that 100 yards and think this guy just did that for 26 miles. Bro, it's insane. It's, I've never heard of anything like this. This is like on a different planet. And maybe he he's is. Maybe he's an alien. I don't know. I don't know. It's absolutely. But you know, Kenyans uh, traditionally are the best marathoners. Yes. So, you know, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, but even then, no Kenyan's done this before. No, not at all. But so. I'm telling you, now that he's broken a glass ceiling, just like Jim Ryan's four-minute mile. Yeah. We'll, we'll see more of it because now people can say, oh, he did it. I think I can do it, too. Yeah, I would say you're probably correct. It, it's going to be one of those things that you start seeing a little bit more of. It, it is just like, man, when you sent that to me and I read that, I was like, you get like a sub two hour marathon? What? How is that even real? I mean, my God. It sounds crazy. I think it's nuts when you see people that run sub three hour marathons. Crazy, you know, like I, I was watching. Oh, we watched that documentary on the Boston Marathon bombing, and some dude in there ran like a three hour and thirty minute marathon. I was like, golly, and he was my age, and I just thought, man, I like my. There's no my knees wouldn't hold up to run a marathon. It, it'd be just too painful eventually. That's why I like I've done ten k's before, which is six point two miles, and at the end of that, I'm like, okay, that's and I, it. I mean, and I'm sitting there going, I mean, you just. You run and you run and you run for three and a half hours. I mean, that's, <laughs> and I got it. You know what? Props to the Kenyan because I get it. Running gets boring after a while. He's probably like, well, screw this. I'm just going to finish it as fast as I can. Bro. And that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> some real truth to that. That's the one thing about running that I could never get into. And I don't know why, because swimming, I mean, I, I used to go swimming and I'd, I'd swim for an hour. And I would just like zone out and it's almost like you're just doing this, but it's so peaceful and quiet in the water that for whatever reason, that was totally different for me than going for like a long run. Well, that's what I used to hate about running. It was my, it just my mind. I get bored. 
And so uh, once they came out with iPods and stuff where you could at least yeah. listen to music or something to help occupy your mind, it got a, it got much easier for me or much better for me. Yeah, I and think then that, my yeah. knees became. Dude, I was doing some body squats the other day, and and the, the house was completely quiet, and I could literally hear <laughs> down and up, and I was just like, "Oh my God, what is going on inside of those knees?" It sounded like you were crunching crackers up and crunching crackers down. Yeah, there's it's it's tough, man. And and I'm kind of the same way. Like when I used to go on runs when I was doing triathlons and I was kind of trained for those, like rarely would I listen to music. I would most times I'd listen to podcasts, you know, because I'd feel like and and this is like sometimes I know people will do this and. You know, you got to be careful like that because you don't want to get too like if you're going to be competitive, you don't want to train to where you, you you get used to like you have to just have something where the time passes that you're focused on other than what you're doing because you can't do that in a race, you know. Right. So although, I don't know. Although they've relaxed some of those rules now, which is good. I mean, not not for the like like not for the super uber competitive races. Like, no, you can't do that if you're trying to yeah. go to the Boston Marathon and run it. But for uh, for us casual runners and stuff, they now let you do that. So there you have it, man. All you guys go out and go sprint a hundred yards and see what happens. Well, you know what? You, I was now thinking when you like, what's the fastest you remember your heartbeat, your heart rate being? The fastest ever. I don't know that I've ever seen two hundred, but I've gotten it up to like one eighty eight for sure. All right, see, like I would, like I told you, mine. The most I ever remember is like one sixty three, and just as we were discussing that, I was like, I wonder how fast I can get my heart rate to go while working out, and you know, not being stupid, but just pushing myself a little harder, a little faster, cutting down the rest in between. I was like, I wonder if I can get it up faster than one sixty three. I bet you that's, can. That's oh, I think I can. You know me, I'm not going to hurt that much. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like exercise true. hurts. Okay, that's why most people don't want to exercise, uh, especially if you haven't done it for a minute. Because exercise hurts, especially like if you just start doing push-ups or something. Yep, it hurts. It's gonna be your your arms and your chest and all that's going to hurt. But if you ever get and do it long enough, you get through that stage. Then it doesn't hurt so much until later. But it always hurts. So I'm only gonna hurt so much. But now now you got me wondering how fast can I get that heart rate going? With uh, just regular effort and uh, not a lot of rest. So I think I'm going to try that over the next couple of days and report back to y'all. See what I get. Yeah, I mean, it's I will say this because I think everybody's aware that I work out in my garage and we're, we're hitting the time of the year where when that first because it's been really muggy and warm here this week and right. it was like 87 degrees the other day and and you know, towards the end of the summer, I get used to it and I can stay out in the heat and work out and be just fine. But man, those first couple of days, I'm like, whoo, man, like you can tell when you've, that heat's back and it's just different. You sweat more. You gotta, you have to in, like I had to start most of the time when I work out, I'll just drink like a thing of water, but I have to start incorporating like power rate zeros and stuff to make sure when I'm working out that I'm replenishing because you sweat like right. crazy in the mugginess right. like that. And you, it just hits you different. And I've noticed that in my workouts, my heart rate's been a little higher because of that, because you're just, you're just hotter. You're just, I mean, it's, you know, it's almost like doing hot yoga or something, man. I mean, it gets warm. No, I get it. I get it, bro. It just hits you a little different. 
So as we continue here, some other things to get into. And of course, I mean, man, these guys have been with us for so long and we always appreciate what they do. It's Freeway Tire Shop. JR and his crew there at Freeway Tire Shop. Nobody does it better, which is why we talk about it all the time. There's a reason why every car that Jacques ever has, he takes over to JR because you trust him. He stands behind his work. And as you've talked about a million times, it's a fair price. The guy does everything at the elite level. The mechanic you can trust is at Freeway Tire Shop. Dude, I mean, it's it really ain't that complicated for me, man. I go to JR, and, and I tell y'all all the time, if your mechanic does not do what I'm about to tell you, which is one, quickly diagnose your, the issue with your car and that you can trust him to, guess what, use quality parts to fix your car. You can trust him to charge you a fair price, and then you can trust him to stand behind your work. If your mechanic, male or female, doesn't do those four things, then you need to hit the scuttlebutt button and go right up 35 north toward Denton, get off at Commonwealth, about five minutes from downtown, go through the light, look to the right. You, you absolutely cannot miss freeway tires right there. They do fantastic work. JR is on site. And even when he's not, you can't tell because his people are fantastic. It's a great place to take your car. You can trust that it's going to get fixed properly, get fixed in a, in a quickly. And um, I can't recommend them highly enough. And you should roll through and you get your car fixed at Freeway Tire if you're not getting all those things done where you're at right now. Which you're not. So go to Freeway Tire Shop and they'll get taken care of. Also, of course, and again, much like Flow Air and, and the, the air conditioning problems that you run into, foundation problems are a real thing in Texas. A real thing. And Aaron and his guys with HFX Foundation Solution, they're local they're family-owned. They service the entire DFW area. They take care of all your foundational needs. They can handle, like, if you're having drainage issues, you never had gutters on your home, they do all that, make sure that your property is draining correctly. If you see those cracks, you start noticing some doors that are sticking that weren't doing that before, I'd call them immediately. It's a free, no-obligation inspection because you want to get out ahead of this and catch any potential foundation problem as early as you possibly can which is why we tell you all the time about HFX Foundation Solutions. Dude, I mean, I don't know how to say this, bro. Go call Aaron and his team over there at HFX and tell them, as I've told you, you want that colonoscopy for your crib, 817-770-0174. And here's the deal. You want that because you want them to go inside the house, all the places you can't see, Here's why your doors are sticking. Here's why your windows are sticking. Here's why you got those cracks on the ceiling. You want to know what the reason is and make sure everything's good. Why do we call it a colonoscopy for your crib? Because you get a colonoscopy, you see all those things that you can't see yourself. Aaron and his team at HFX, they do the exact same thing. Call them, ask them to come check it out, and hopefully you get a clean bill of health for your house. And if not, chances are, chances are, whatever happened, they find it early. And we all know, man, whatever it is, if you catch it early, it doesn't cost nearly as much as if you catch it late. So give Aaron and his team a call, 817-770-0174, and ask for that colonoscopy for the crib. That's the way to do it. It's easy. 817-770-0174, hfxfoundation.com. So we move forth here, and a couple of other little things that jump out in the sports world. First off, Luka Doncic. And I'm sure this is not a surprise to anybody. He just continues to do things, which is why I'm going to cry when he leaves in a couple of years. But <laughs> Luka Doncic was named a first-team All-NBA selection for the fourth consecutive season. He ties Dirk Nowitzki 
for the all-time franchise record with four first-team All-NBA selections and becomes the first Mav ever selected to four consecutive first-team All-NBA seasons. As Dirks came in 05, 06, 07, he was second-team in 08 and then first-team again in 09. So Luka's doing that, which we've never seen anybody do. It's wild, too, because he becomes the fourth player in NBA history to earn four or more first-team selections in the first five years of his career. The other players, and and I don't know if you guys have heard of these people, Larry Bird, (laughs) Tim Duncan, and George Gervin. Wow. And he becomes the fourth player to receive four first-team honors before turning 25, joining Tim Duncan, Kevin Durant, and I'm going to be honest with you, I legit have never heard of this guy. Max Zaslavsky. Dude, nobody's heard of him except his, his kids and his grandkids. And I thought it was nuts. I was like, I wonder if the news is doing a bit and just threw this name in here to see if people would buy into it. But I Googled him, and apparently he was the most dominant player when the NBA began in the late 1940s. <laughs> I'm serious, man. And, and he looks like how you would expect a 1947 basketball player to look. <laughs> uh, yes. You know, so again... Luca's doing things, and we know this. Luca's doing things nobody's done before, but man, four straight first team All NBA, and you still can't make the play in. <laughs> Dude. You know, that's our Dallas Mavericks, bro. And uh, let's just hope that they figure out a team to put around them so we don't have to watch them play in somebody else's uniform. I'm going to cry, dude. That, that will be, you know, I don't know if I'll cry is I'll just be frustrated and angry and it'll piss me off about the Mavericks and I'll act like I'm done and then I'll come back like halfway through that season after he leaves. Yeah, because you wound up through a bit of luck with, you know, the best player of his, of his draft class yeah. by far. And you just, you just have, you got the dominant player in the league, a guy nobody can handle, and you just haven't been able to put anything around him to make his life a little bit easier. Nothing. Nothing. And maybe this is the offseason they'll do it as I chuckle to myself. Yeah. I'm going to chuckle out loud. <laughs> Man, they, they, they've got to find something. I mean, they've tried, but as I told y'all, you don't get credit for trying, man. I mean, seriously, you don't get credit for trying. When you work hard and you try hard and you still bring home a 52, guess what? You still got an F. <laughs> you, work, you tried, but you don't get credit for trying. No, you don't. And, and you get credit for doing. I thought this was really interesting. So I'm sure a lot of people know the name Craig Miller. It goes by Junior. He's, he's one of the morning show hosts on the Musers on the ticket there in Dallas. Yes. He put out a series of tweets the other day, and, and he did the research on this, which is why I wanted to give him props because this isn't my stat. But he points out the, all, the NBA all-defensive team was established in 1969. There are the franchises with the most selections, the Celtics with 48, the Bulls with 45, the Spurs with 43, the Lakers with 42. Then you drop in and there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, like 10 other franchises over 20. The franchise with the least NBA all defensive team selections ever is the Dallas Mavericks. They've had three all time. Three. Now, the question is, can you guess them? I think Derek Harper and Tyson Chandler are the only two. No, Tyson Chandler was good now. No, and he was. He was very, very good. And so Craig's whole thing is, and he points this out. He goes, 
Okay, yeah, there it is. All of them were second team, by the way. Harper did it twice, and Tyson Chandler did it once. The fewest for any team in the NBA ever. Every NBA champion has had at least one player who made an all-defensive team at some point in their career. The great majority of champions had a player who made the team the season they won the title. Example, the Dallas Mavericks in 2011 with Tyson Chandler. All right. And so he points out, and we kind of talked about this the other day, there's you got to get an elite defender. If you can find like one elite defender somehow, that Tyson Chandler, then the Mavs might be able to have everything else they need. They they you just got to get a guy who can defend, and they don't have that guy right now. Mm. But I thought that was a wild stat that he he came up with there. No, uh, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, I, I was trying to, you know, man, it's um, teams have identities you know just like and and it doesn't matter who they are you've got an identity you know like the Baltimore Ravens they've always got a defensive identity you know Pittsburgh Steelers always have a defensive identity Dallas Cowboys always have an offensive identity Um, you know uh, the Texas Rangers they've got an offensive identity which is why we're shocked that they're pitching the way that they're pitching and the Dallas Mavericks have always kind of been an offensive team yeah apparently an offensive minded team I mean, you know, when it was early on, it was Mark Aguirre. He was an offensive player. And then even for a very teeny tiny period, you had Roy Tarpley. He was an offensive player. And then they stunk in, in, the, mid, in the early 90s. And then when they got – when they had – when we were really excited about him, who did they have? Offensive player, Jamal Mashburn, offensive player, Jim Jackson, and then point guard to make sure that the offensive players got down, Jason Kidd, although he was a great rebounder. They've always been an offensive-minded franchise. And so that's a great stat. But the more I think about it, I'm not sure I'm surprised by it because they ain't never been a defensive-minded team. It's very true. And, and, and at some point, it, not that you have to be defensive-minded, but, but have a guy that can do something for you on the defensive side. And they, well, they, they don't have Finney any Smith. Yeah, but even he, but I, I, I'd say he, he wasn't was elite. good. He was good. Right. And you can find those guys. Between elite and good. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know that they'll change. I mean, but I don't knows? know if you go out and get elite defensive players or you find out that they were elite defensive players. Yeah, it's one of the two, I would imagine. You but know, like Draymond Green for a while was an elite defensive player. Yeah. But that's why he was a second round pick. That's very true. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, ain't nobody taking elite defensive minded players in the first round. Now, maybe you took a guy you thought was going to be an offensive player. And his offense didn't translate to the NBA, so he turned into an elite defensive player. I mean, I guess you should say Michael Jordan, but we're going to talk about the GOAT. I mean, I mean he, true. to me, he doesn't count because that's, he's the GOAT. You know what I mean? Uh, he's unusual. That's why he is who he is. So I don't know. That's a, that's a great point, though. So I don't know how they get that guy. Uh, Maverick's got a lot of moving parts, man. Maverick seem it's funny that you could have Luka Doncic and seem so far away from a championship team. Now think about it. This is one of those impromptu discussions and normally I think they're kind of stupid, but it makes sense in this particular case. As of today, going forward, starting with every team's next season. So like even though the stars are playing right now, we're talking about next season. When you think about it, bro, you think about who's really, if you rank the, the local teams, the top four, in terms of who's going to get the championships first. I'd probably say 
we had a real talk, not a bullshit talk. Okay. I'd probably say if you were ranking them, I would go Stars, Cowboys, Rangers, Mavs. Yeah, it's hard not to see it like that. But if you wanted to flip the Rangers and the Cowboys, I could see why you would do that. Yeah, the the stars are the stars very could win. I mean, we'll see how the series stars, plays out. They, they that's what I said next season. But the stars year. have a bunch of young studs, right, and really good players, and they look like they they look like they're gonna be contenders for the next few years. And they got a goalie, which means you can really get it done. And like the Rangers, their farm system's equipped. And even though they got some age with Seager and Simeon and some other spots, they got enough young guys who are starting to show up. Like, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, Seager, we'll take what we can get because Durant looked like the real deal right here, and he ain't but 24. And you got some, you got Evan Carter coming up, and you're like, um, you know, I don't know that Lighter will ever be what we thought he was, but, you know, there's other guys in the, in the minors, and you go like, okay, I see where they feel roles. And you feel like Chris Young – Based off what he's done, now they gave him some money to work with, but you're like, based off what he's done, I feel like the Rangers are moving into a team, into a situation where they were like from, what, man, 2009 through like 2014, 15, where you got to deal with the Rangers to get to a title. Maybe they get there, maybe they don't, but you're going to have to deal with the Rangers if you want to win, if you want to go through the American League and get to the World Series. Um, And you know, the Cowboys... They probably got a year or two to really, really get it done because this is their third year where they look like they're going to have double-digit wins in a row. And, you know, that puts you in the conversation, but you got to get it done. And the Mavericks, man, uh, the NBA is a rough – the NBA is hard to win. But uh, not that other sports aren't. But uh, the Rangers, the Mavericks just seem like they're a long way away because I understand what the other teams – what the other three teams are doing I have no idea what the Mavericks' plan is. I think that's probably the key. I think you're right. I, I don't disagree with anything that you just said. And, and it feels – and it's wild because a year ago we, we thought, man, the Mavs are on the cusp of this. They're just like a guy or two. Can they find that guy? And they could – And I mean, you talk about taking two steps forward a year ago and five steps back this season. Yeah. I, it, it's just crazy. But I would agree. I mean, I'd put the stars first. Rangers, Cowboys, it's interesting because you the, – the Cowboys window is open. Are they ever going to take advantage of it? Because I, they've got a shot, but until they show me that they can even get to an NFC title game, it's impossible to believe in them. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. It's wild to think that a team with Luka Doncic on it, their championship belief is so far away from what we saw this year and the ineptitude of this franchise to be able to do anything around him that works. Right. It's crazy, man. The other thing that's happening in Dallas this weekend, and, and this is kind of interesting, is the Byron Nelson. The, the AT&T Byron Nelson is happening up at, in McKinney at Craig Ranch. And it's interesting because Jordan Spieth isn't playing in this because of a wrist injury. He can't play. Will Zalatoris, another Dallas guy, can't play in this as he has a, he's had back he's done for the year he had back surgery and you look at some of the prominent golfers well what's happening this weekend in Tulsa which is not that far away from Dallas all things considered is hosting right. a live event 
And so some of those names like Dustin Johnson or Bubba Watson or what have you, or some of the other young guys that were on the tour, or even guys that you've known European guys like Lee Westwood or Paul Casey, what have you. None of those guys are going to be coming to Dallas ever again because they're going to Tulsa this weekend to play for the live tour. So the other problem that they are running into, and this is where, I mean, I remember when man, now granted Byron Nelson was still alive when this was happening, but I remember going as a kid and I, every name on tour was coming to Dallas to play in the Byron Nelson. That doesn't happen anymore. Even Tiger stopped playing in the, once Byron passed, Tiger stopped playing in the Byron Nelson. The other problem with this is this year, the PGA Tour designated 17 tournaments as designated events, and the top players on tour must play 16 of those 17 tournaments. So it created a level of tournaments of, hey, all the top guys are going to be in this. It it created a level of tournaments of, hey, you want to play? Play. If not, no big deal. The Byron Nelson was not designated as one of those tournaments. It is in the latter category. And that's where this is. It's, It's a really weird thing because not only is that happening, they are sandwiched now between two designated events with the Wells Fargo Championship going on the week before. And the week after the Nelson is the PGA Championship, which is one of the majors. So there are, look, there's some golfers that'll play in this because they like to play in the tournament the week before the major. But you look at some of the names in the field, and I watch I watch golf. My brother plays in golf, so I know some of the, the random, there are some random ass names at the Byron Nelson this week. You know, man, and Nelson has had I, – I, I remember uh, a quote from years ago that I'm paraphrasing where Tiger was basically like, Byron Nelson gave so much to the game, I'm here because of him. And it was almost like, Doug, once he passed, it was just like, well, there's no need for me to go to the Nelson no more. I don't have to honor the legend because the legend's no longer here in person. And it just became kind of – to me, it's been a – it's been a tournament at Dallas, but it's been kind of like an afterthought tournament for a minute. Like the best players having, all the best players having flocked here for a minute, just like the Colonial just kind of, you know, fell off because it was at a weird time on the schedule and they've been trying to make it relevant ever since. And so I don't know what it's going to take to make it relevant again, but it's, it's not one of the relevant tournaments right now. Not at all. And I don't know, like you said, I don't know what it would be that can turn it back around. I mean, you know, they took it out to that, course over in uh southern dallas for a while and now they've moved it again so i don't know yeah and, and like look scotty scheffler who lives in dallas he's the number one player in the world everybody knows him he's going to be there this weekend hideki Matsu, matsuyama who's won the masters adam scott's going to be there this weekend he's won a masters but man there, there are just a lot of there's a lot of names in this field that unless you are hardcore into golf, you you just will not recognize. And it and it it just used to be this premier destination event. Hell, I remember even when I was like right out of college and stuff. Nick and I used to go over to the Byron Nelson every year. You know, you'd walk the course a bit, you'd hang out at the pavilion. It was a, you'd you'd see the girls in their sundresses. It was awesome. You're absolutely right. And ever ever since, I don't know. It, it's. I don't know what happened to the Byron Nelson, but man, it is just an afterthought, not only to a lot of people, I think now in the DFW area, but quite frankly, obviously to the PGA tour. You know, it's going the way of blockbuster, bro. 
<laughs> it is going the way of Blockbuster. You're not wrong. No, man. And I'm telling you, unless, unless there's, how about this, bro? You know, like unless there's some new hot golfer who shows up on the scene it makes all the cool kids want to go to it because he goes, oh, you know, I, I think Byron Nelson was the greatest. And if I play one tournament every year, I don't even care. It's going to be the Nelson. And, and all the cool kids go, oh, he's playing there? Well, heck, I guess it's cool to play there again. Unless that dude shows up, man, I think it's just moving further, further, and further into irrelevancy. It's sad in a sense. You know, and I will say this because – Dallas is such a massive area now. I mean, McKinney and Frisco, where the PGA Championship is going to be eventually and where they're building that all out there. We all know how many people live in McKinney, Allen, all way up north in the TPC Craig Ranch area, up there 121, up into Prosper now. It feels like it used to be a, a big-time DFW event, and it's become now, oh, there's this golf tournament. The PGA comes to one of the Dallas suburbs, and it doesn't feel like it's a Dallas like a big Dallas event anymore, as much as it happens to be like, hey, if you live in the area up there, you know, there's a golf tournament going on this weekend. Right. But there's no, there's very few of the other people that you want to see. Right. You know, and, you know, I'm going to say this, what made Tiger great was what? He brought people like me, the most casual of golf fans, into the game. And that's why I tell you now, like, who, who draws me, the most casual of golf fans, to the game? And the answer is nobody. There's nobody I yearn to see play. Uh, I watched Tiger because he was interesting. He's charismatic. You never knew what he might do. Um, yeah. There's nobody like that for me right now. Maybe there will be down the road, but for right now, there's nobody. Yeah, so we'll see. But Byron Nelson, if, if that's your bit and you're a fan of the Nelson, knock yourself out and get up there to McKinney at, at, at Craig Ranch, which is a nice course. I mean, I've been up there. I've never played it, but. I had some Hutchins barbecue up there. Yeah, Hutchins barbecue. So there you go. <laughs> Do whatever you want. The other thing to get into, and, and again, you guys listening to this on Friday, we have no idea what's going to happen tonight, but game five in Dallas tonight between the Stars and the Kraken. Come in, and it is really odd how this series is like a mirror image of round one. The stars go out and get absolutely dominated in game three. They're down two games to one. Everything's falling apart. They have to pull Jake Ottinger. He doesn't even come out and play in the third period in game three. Then game four, the stars come out and absolutely dominate Seattle. Seattle has to pull their goalie, Grubauer, in after two periods. The stars get up to a 5-1 lead. They end up winning 6-3 to three in a completely dominant effort. Has the series tied coming back to Dallas with two of the final three games, if needed, in Dallas. And you wonder, are they going to do what they did to the Wild where they recognize we're the better team? Let's shut this thing down. Get game five tonight, I hope, at home, and then go out this weekend on Saturday and close this thing out on the road. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a matter of this. The stars have to come out and set the tone. Uh, that's what they've got to do, because when they do that, they win the game. Uh, and so you would hope that being at the crib, they'll, they'll get off to a fast start and uh, they can get that all-important first goal and then, um, you know, just take the game to the Kraken. Uh, they did that for the first two periods the other day. The Kraken 
uh, actually dominated much of the third period, I thought, uh, uh, you know, or at least made it interesting and showed that, yo, we're, we're not laying down. We're going to fight until the last, uh, you know, till the game's over. And so uh, we'll see. I mean, I still think that Dallas is the better team. They just got to play like it all the time. Yes, and look, Miro Haskinen being back for game four, you see how much that dude means. It's obvious he's the best player on the team. The problem is it's easier to see the things that like a Jason Robertson does or a Joe Pavelski or what have you because they score goals, and it's easy to see that. What Miro does is so much, is so subtle, and defenders don't get a lot of that glory. He plays way more ice time. Than, I mean, he plays like half the game. He's out there. And he's, yep. he, he, the way he quarterbacks the team, the way he gets the power plays, like some of the subtle things that he does as a defenseman and the goals that he prevents and the plays that he prevents from even developing that none of us ever know that could have been a play because Miro stopped it before it became something when we've seen when other defensemen are out there, oh, now we understand that this happened because if Miro's not on this team, who knows how many more opportunities the opposition, the opposition would get that we never see when he's out there because he eliminates them before they even become a thing. Yep. He's incredible, man. It's kind of like seeing, uh, it's like when you talk about point guards, you can see the floor. Yeah, it is kind of like plays developing before they, before they happen. He does that from a defensive perspective. You know, he can see where it's going before it happens and he can interrupt it or disrupt it or slow it down before it gets there, allowing help to come and ruin a threat before it, what becomes a threat. Yeah, and, and he, when he's on the ice, they're just a different team. And I thought that had a lot to do with game three because he got popped in the face when they scored their first goal in the second period and never returned. And it really seemed like it deflated the stars and they seemed out of sorts. It, it, as long as Miro is going to be in this thing, you, you, it's just a different team. And, and Ottinger obviously was much, much better in game four. Made some incredible plays, some great saves. Stars are a good team. Kraken are a good team. This is going to be a wild final, hopefully just two games, that the Stars, you know, look, you're, you're on home ice. The, the, you don't want to go back to you don't want to go back to Seattle down three games to two. You want to go back to Seattle up three games to two with the chance to close it out and not even have to worry about game seven. Yeah, but, I mean, it ain't, it ain't for the Kraken to make it easy for you. It's for you to go, go get it. You go take what you want. No, man, I thought that was so wild. It sounded like... You know, watching that on ESPN the other night in, in game four, I mean, the Stars are up like five to one and you just keep hearing the announcers the whole time. Oh, Seattle's not going to go away. Seattle won't give up. Don't, don't, Seattle's going to keep fighting. They score it's five to two. Oh, here come the crack. I'm like, what? Are, what? <laughs> oh, oh, you mean so a team in the playoffs isn't going to give up on their home ice that they're going to keep trying? I just thought, man. And they just won a game seven to two. And I thought it was really interesting because my brother texted me. He goes, is it just me or does it sound like they're just kind of pulling for Seattle? And I was like, no, I mean, not that they're pulling for Seattle, but they're being overly complimentary for a team that is getting their ass absolutely destroyed for the bulk of this game. Right, right, right. I just thought I raised an eyebrow to that. That's all. So we shall see how game five goes tonight. And all of you will already know the result on Friday. And hopefully we're all happy and getting ready to maybe watch another potential series close out and get to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, baby. And by the way, the other series in the West is nuts, too, because the Golden Knights and the Oilers are tied at two games each because the Oilers won the other night. And it's going to be fun, man. It, it's come on, stars. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. The road to the cup is there. It lays out for you. 
And we'll just yeah, leave it. You at just that. gotta, you just gotta go get it. They're capable of getting there. Yes. As I would say, that there's nobody, there's nobody better than them. You know, it might be some teams equal to them, but That's there's true. nobody better than the stars right now left. Yep. It's just a matter of where, whether you can put it together and win those games. I think you're exactly right. We'll see if they do it. Everybody have a wonderful Mother's Day weekend. Get out, enjoy yourselves, do something fun. We'll definitely have a podcast for you, I would imagine, on Monday because I'm not traveling. I don't believe you are traveling, so I should be able to work that out easy to get one knocked out for you guys on Monday. Everybody have a wonderful weekend, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.